0: This is the Education Gadfly Show.
1: Complicating? Yes, it's okay. okay, it'll be in the spelling bee.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: what does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at excellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming our special guest for the week, the Bono of Education Reform, Noel Ellerson. Noel, welcome! Good afternoon. Thank you. It doesn't really work, the, the whole gender thing, Bono being a man and, and and all that. But U2 is in town, and it gives me a chance to say I'm so depressed that I did not go see U2 when I could have, and they came to our fair city. What was I thinking, Alyssa? I'm not sure. Tickets were, I'm pretty sure, sold on Twitter, so I don't know how you missed that. Because they were like a gazillion dollars <laughs> each. So that's why. Also joining us, Alyssa Schwang. Hey, Mike. I'm Dan back. Fordham. Yes, we're back, and we're not live this week. We were live last week at the National... Charter Schools Conference, which was kind of cool. It was pretty fun we to be out again. of the office, yeah. yeah. Maybe at Noel's conference. Hey, Noel is the Associate Executive Director of Policy and Advocacy at AASA, the School Superintendents Association. Guilty as charged. I love it. You know, I love how uh, it's kind of a KFC kind of thing you've tried to do with the name there, right? I mean... You know, School Superintendents Association is SSA, not AASA. So I see you're playing. I see that. That's that's clever, the can rebranding. I
1: tell you a little bit of that backstory. yeah. yeah we are in yeah. the, brand, the rebranding meeting, and I don't know much about rebranding. I can do policy <laughs> and advocacy. I know, oh, that's pretty. Oh, that looks better than our 1970s logo. <laughs> but as we sat there, I raised my hand ever so meekly, and I said, I vote for AASA, comma, the school superintendents. Association, because then we'll be at the top of almost every letter we signed. Oh,
3: no. Smart. no nice. That is some good branding and policy yeah, thinking man. right now. You're there. good at your That's job, a, No, that was my one and done. <laughs>
2: nice. Sticker back in policy. Well, Noel, we, we are going to talk today about research to practice and research to policy. But before we do, I can't help myself. We've got to talk a little bit about what's happening on Capitol Hill and in Washington, D.C., Specifically, ESA. So, big news last week was that the Department of Education provided some, quote, feedback, end quote, uh, on the ESA plans for three states. Surprised many of us, it uh, was pretty extensive. Uh, some of the employment was fine, you know, hey, give us more information, explain this, explain that. But there were a few things that really left many of us scratching our heads. I'm wondering if you had the same reaction. I refer to a couple things uh, Delaware being told that their plan, their, their goals are not ambitious enough. Did that surprise you?
1: That surprised me, that, and the effort, was it Nevada with the science, with the, with the testing? Yeah. One of the big pushes that we saw in the Every Student Succeeds Act that we really liked was the idea that, one, a child is more than a test score. Yeah. So the role to the non-academic factor, and to the idea that a child needs to know more than math and ELA, and so yeah. the idea... Ability to include to some extent science is something we like. To your specific question yeah, about, yeah, and,
2: and just to explain what what they did is, they, mm-hmm. it was kind of weird. And they said in the academic achievement indicator part of state accountability plans, it can only be reading and math. You can look at things like science and social studies as another indicator, but not an academic achievement. Which it's just weird and bizarre and and sort of complicating. The law. I don't know why they're reading it that way.
3: Complicating? Yeah, it's
2: it's a word. Look
1: it up. Okay. It'll be in the spelling bee Yeah, exactly.
2: (laughs) It's it's on park. I,
1: I do think that part of the pushback or hesitation that we saw from the advocates and the education community is because we don't know how to respond to this administration. We're coming fresh off of eight years under mm-hmm. Arne Duncan and John King, where there was very creative interpretation of regulatory authority. And there was some yeah. concern in both race to the top and the ESSA waivers or ESEA waivers about consistency. Mm-hmm. So we don't know, is this a one and done? And then right. they immediately issued their FAQ, which said, well, you can treat this like a tea time conversation. You don't actually have to make the changes. You can take a gamble. Right. We right. love the flexibility right. of mm-hmm. that ESSA offers both the state and local education agencies, but a gamble is not something you really want to be in the business of
2: yeah. doing when you're educating students. And mm-hmm. and, and look, you know, the, some of this stuff. I mean, if science is just technical, well, you got to put it in one place to the other place. Maybe that doesn't matter. The ambitiousness of the goals. I don't think the goals matter if the, if they don't have teeth. They do matter if they encourage states to start lowering their definition of proficiency again. If they feel like that's the only way they're going to meet these ambitious goals. My biggest concern was this bizarre feedback to Delaware where they said that you can't use uh, basically uh, success rates on AP and IB uh, if not every kid in the state has access to AP or IB. <laughs> you can use access to it, but not completion, which is bizarre. Like, where'd they get from that from? And, and that would apply to basically any of these indicators states are coming up with on college and career readiness. And why is it that they think that this is not allowed? The law itself mentions AP as, you know, it's both access to and completion of AP as a potential indicator states might want to use. That seems pretty clear that Congress would be okay with this.
3: Yeah, no, and I admit that I'm the person at this table who's read probably the least text of the actual bill, but I do think that um, that was sort of alarming, and one of the things that we've talked a lot about at Fordham is incenting schools in the right way towards things like ap completion and we don't want to necessarily make it so that all of these kids are for are not forced into but are taking ap Push. classes pushed into and they're not ready and that has consequences for the school and also for the kids in the classes yeah. but just so you I get think, points
2: for pushing kids into ap but it doesn't matter whether they actually mm-hmm. do well in the test or not that's a terrible
3: problem. yeah no agreed and i think another thing that has been challenging for a lot of people now is this kind of just the clarity around what to expect from the department yeah. and everyone was kind of expecting okay, it's going to just kind of go through. It'll be okay, whatever you want to do. And this is indicating that that's not necessarily the case.
1: And I think what we'll need to look for is, it is good. I think we should draw the bench, the benchmark or the line in the sand that it's good that she didn't just rubber stamp everything mm-hmm. because I think that would have opened her up to a lot of different types of criticism.
2: <laughs> I'd be okay with a rubber stamp. I actually uh, yeah. was thinking about sending her one, uh, <laughs> you know, in case she wanted to use it. I, sh- I should send Jason Botel one. Uh, well, well, approved. Depend- yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that. I'm not sure. Yeah, if, yeah. if it's less than $20, can he accept that? Give
1: miss. Isn't it 15 um, I mean, he'd be so using it for obviously. work. It wouldn't be, be like something he's
2: using for his own Just give pr- him a e-
1: Staples easy button. Okay. No, yeah. that okay. But going back to the idea of access to AP and IB, mm-hmm. one of the things that made that provision as written in the statute different from No Child Left Behind was it was a sharp move away from one size fits all. Yeah. Because you could have a school that does its curriculum and environment really align to IB. It's an IB school. Yeah. But you could have a school across the state mm-hmm. that is either AP or they have great luck or they align much yeah. more closely with a state design test.
2: Or they do career tech maybe is uh, their speaking big
1: Speaking of, coming up Thursday, mm-hmm. super yeah. excited for the house. The other area that that ties into, though, if you go back to the negotiated rulemaking around assessment, yeah. we thought it was pretty clear that the law intended for states to be able to choose in that alternate assessment pilot and creating their own, we thought there was room for variance even within a district. And so this is that interpretation that across the state, if you're going to use it, everyone has to have access. Mm -hmm.
2: Bizarre. Bizarro world. Yeah. All right. Well, well, (laughs) now that we've spent five minutes talking about that, so let's do Ed Reform Update. All right. So we're not here to talk about that. So we're going to talk about research policy and practice. Had a great event last Mm -hmm. week. I'm mm-hmm. talking about the research to policy divide, uh, how hard it is to design studies that are going to give really concrete advice to policymakers like state legislators about how to design policies. But I argued that it's not as hard to design studies that will give good information to practitioners like superintendents and principals and teachers. Mm-hmm. For example, you can do really rigorous studies of different curricula and find out which one works best. But Noel, many of us looking at least from afar, it seems like it's just hard to tell is any of the research, there's a lot more good research coming out, is any of it having an impact at the local level? What, what do you hear from your members? You work with superintendents all the time. Do they, are you think they're paying attention to these research studies? If not, why not? And what, what could the research world be doing to better serve their needs?
1: They absolutely are paying attention mm-hmm. to the research. I think we suffer the burden of volume and just there is so much more information mm-hmm. out there. You have to look at the longitudinal access. I mean, we have access to research from 1983, 1970s, where some of that is still relevant. But then you have everything up to today yeah. and you have so many so much more direct access to it Mm -hmm. that 20 years ago before internet, 25 years ago, you didn't necessarily know what you were missing. You would go to your library. You could go to your alma mater, college library, Mm -hmm. see what could come up. You could belong to groups like AASA or ASCD and get little snippets that could then give you access to the broader reports. It's almost information overload. And I think Mm -hmm. one of the things that might be getting in the way, they're absolutely reading it all the time. And I think they almost overwhelmingly feel that they're never current or never Mm -hmm. where they need to be. Mm -hmm. Is that, There's so much, they don't necessarily know what they're missing. Or if they get in a habit of getting good information from one source and a notion that applies beyond just research... Are you challenging yourself to read different sources yeah. from different clearing houses, mm-hmm. from different organizations? Well, who,
2: who, what are they reading, do you think? I mean, uh, what, what are some of the major sources that you suspect they're, they're looking to?
1: I think they're looking at a lot of the same things we look at on Twitter. So they're going to mm-hmm. look at organizations like yours. They're going to look at the professional organizations. They'll look at the mm-hmm. groups like PDK. They'll mm-hmm. look at the socioeconomic education journal. There's a couple of those mm-hmm. periodicals. They'll look at the that are coming out of their alma mater. It mm-hmm. just depends. Some of them may be looking, mm-hmm. th- and then word of mouth that is so strong among superintendents. Hey, here's mm-hmm. a report I read either through their state association, through other superintendents in their state. A lot of it will also come even more locally, and this mm-hmm. is more top down. But a superintendent may flag or share something for the entire team or for mm-hmm. the board to read. Right, and so that peer-to-peer network is really, really relevant mm-hmm. in terms of what is getting read and mm-hmm. the extent to which there's diversity or an echo chamber.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I was kind of curious about, you know, what, what the culture is like at the local level. Like, for example, you got all this stuff coming at you, but you're also doing your job, right? And that may be the time when you'd be most likely to look at the research is when you've decided that, okay, we're going to, you know, really look at our, we're going to have a year long process to really look at our curriculum, or we're going to really look and see if we might do a different approach to professional development or whatever they're tackling that year in terms of improvement and, you know, that then they're going to do a deep dive into the research. I mean, is that is that fair to say that that's how it works, that these folks will try to do a deep dive on different issues from time to time to say, to ask this question, hey, how can we do X, Y, or Z better?
1: The short answer is, Yes, the mm-hmm. more careful answer is it depends. I think much like when you look at associations, the research we have and share will may depend on who we partner with. So if yeah. you are a school program that relies on an outside grant to do a school breakfast, or if you are a school district that relies on a mm-hmm. partnership with the Wallace Foundation mm-hmm. to do great work in principal development, you're going to have a predisposition to that type of research. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the practice... I would say overwhelmingly superintendents are starting in research. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can't say all, but they they all know the importance of being able to demonstrate the foundation on which you're informing a decision. I also think longevity and tenure of both the superintendent and the plan in which they're implementing. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. if they are trying to implement a one-year turnaround versus, hey, I'm 15 years into my career, I know Mm -hmm. I'm going to be here 10 more years, I want to phase this in as a a hard look at how to increase recruitment and retention of teachers Mm -hmm. in the next three years and then in years Mm -hmm. Four to seven, I want to look at retention and professional development. Mm -hmm. And then I want to look at development Mm -hmm. and refresh. And it's going to depend on their timeline.
2: Yeah. So, one last question. So, this is great. I love this. It's helpful for us. (laughs) But for, 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 for researchers, for other think tanks, advocacy groups out there who are hoping, they think, you know, we've got an idea or we've got a finding that we think is super helpful to a superintendent. And we hope they at least consider it. That would mm-hmm. it's part, get, becomes part of the uh, deliberative process. What What do we do? I mean, what are some do's and mm-hmm. don'ts? I mean, are they going to listen to us, for example, even though we like charter schools? Or are they going to just write us off? Or
1: They will listen to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's the candor. They're looking for candor. They're mm-hmm. looking to gauge. Yes, if I can at least say that yeah. on this, oh, this yeah. podcast. Yep. They're looking to to go there. Forgive my, my strong Oh, anger. I've said <laughs> it before. Right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, actually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I absolutely believe it. So they're they're looking to see how clear is the writing? How concise is it? Is it getting to a point? Is it convoluted? Mm -hmm. Does it seem like the question they're answering has an answer before they started doing the research? All that Mm -hmm. sort of basic stuff. Superintendents are constantly being sold to or told my product, my solution, my Mm -hmm. way is the silver bullet to your district. And they are just trying to think about the staff they have to support, the systems they have Mm -hmm. to run, and most importantly, the students they have to serve. I think something that would really help superintendents or any school Mm -hmm. system leader, as they read this research, it's not just what is the conclusion of your question? But help them contextualize it. What is another voice in this arena going to say? Or why is this Mm -hmm. approach different? And maybe not necessarily as part of your original research, but even a little appendix of here's things you may consider Mm -hmm. in response to this. Here's something that our opposition would say. Here's something that was said five years ago. Mm -hmm. Here are some things you may consider. Because that will then help them. It may address some of the questions I have. I also think it's just like in any debate, it gives you strength to your research that you're willing to own that, hey, maybe this isn't universally accepted. Mm-hmm. There are some challenges.
3: Yeah, or here's kind of what made this situation particularly unique and some things you may or may want to consider mm-hmm. in your context. Mm-hmm. I think awesome. that would be cool. All right. And I think hey. the other thing that would be really relevant, and
1: that this may be a little bit more politically sensitive, but if you're doing a broader research topic, is there a way you can add nuance for niche population? Mm-hmm. So this is what it would mean in rural. This is yeah. what it would mean mm-hmm. for students when districts serving a, students, a high population of students with disabilities mm-hmm. or high English language learners or a school district that has constant teacher churn or that has an above average mm-hmm. teacher retention rate. Mm-hmm. Those sorts of angles can help personalize because that's usually what we find will better link. Uh, report to what the mm-hmm. district will, mm-hmm. yeah, they, but that's very hard. I think right, I'm yeah. asking for a goal coming out of a tree, and yeah, was, but no, but, choose
3: your own adventure. Like yeah. here's your yeah. problem, yeah. and yeah, yeah, we all of these about things. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Last weekend, and to say, of course, I mean, districts all feel that they're kind of unique, and maybe you can't to personalize it exactly, but uh, the rural districts are different than urban mm-hmm. districts. And I think what I'm hearing is there's a role for the synthesis of research studies mm-hmm. and ideas into something that then is useful. Uh, Mm -hmm. to particular kinds of districts.
1: I think beyond even just the synthesis, going to the first part we opened with, there is so much research out there. If we can just help superintendents see what they're not seeing, get them outside of the areas that they know or the networks that they're familiar with. Mm -hmm. I don't like to use necessarily the word clearinghouse because of what that brings us to thinking about what works. And the what works clearinghouse is great, but that's essentially what you're looking at. Is there a way to index or a running list of here's Mm -hmm. what you need to know? I know Johns Hopkins was doing Mm -hmm. that related to Mm -hmm. S Innovations and research yep. and that's huh. a really good start we were really pleased to partner mm-hmm. in that but something like that would be yeah. something it's highly efficient is what it helps so if you can be efficient in the way if you can help superintendents be efficient in the way they not only review what the research is out there but then the way they consume the research they choose to read yep that's going to be really powerful
2: mm-hmm. all right so hey noelle thank you so much for joining us again Noel ellerson associate director of policy and advocacy at aasa the school superintendents association Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for the invitation. And now it's time for everyone's favorite, Amber's Research Minute. David Griffith, welcome back to the
0: show. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. Hi,
2: Amber. Standing in for Amber yet again. But really, what we should be talking about, David, is, uh, you know, there's been a lot of questions here in Washington, D.C. about collusion with the Russians. And where did David (laughs) find himself on a long, long vacation? But... Saint Petersburg, Russia. David, explain mm-hmm. yourself.
0: It was one of several stops uh, on, a, r- on a cruise in the Baltic. Any uh-huh. any political timing is purely coincidental. Uh-huh.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah, it was it was a little uncomfortable when the FBI agents came here, but we're yeah, not just you, found
3: all, you found all you found all of the bugs in
0: your office, right? Cause... Well, you never know when you found all the bugs, do you?
2: Right? <laughs> it's true. <That's laughs> true. I want you to believe that. <laughs> all right, David. Hey, welcome back to the show. Uh, what you got for us this week? Well. This week,
0: I have the latest Credo study. So we're going to retitle this segment, Watch a Researcher's Head Explode, as I attempt to summarize it in a minute.
2: All right. D- skip the methodology. Just I right will to...
0: skip the methodology. All right, methodology. Thank you All right. For
2: skipping the methodology. <laughs> yeah, it's a big
0: study. Uh, it's the latest Credo study. What's the bottom line? Okay. So online schools, are s- charters are still bad. Charters are still serving African-American and Hispanic students very well, but not particularly ELL students. Interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're not serving SPED students particularly well. They're not serving... Uh, White students particularly well.
2: And when you're saying particularly well, you're not just talking about who they serve. You're talking talking about achievement for them. I'm
0: talking about achievement, yes, relative to the closest district schools.
2: Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Um, All right.
0: Yeah. And, right. And there are still some... So the focus of the study is on governance and on different types of charter Mm -hmm. networks, really. And so it's interesting. The study finds, again, that charter management organizations perform better than sort of standalone charters. Mm Mm-hmm. It finds sort of less strong results for what it calls vendor-operated schools. Um, So it has sort of an interesting definition of CMO. It's essentially any uh, network that operates three or more schools and holds the charter for all Mm -hmm. the schools. So it's not like a a for-profit, not-for-profit
2: The for-profits are a different category. She's calling them vendor-operated. Yeah. Some of us used to call them EMOs, but right. Right.
0: Yeah. And then it has this other category of hybrid schools that sort of have share characteristics of both, mm-hmm. which essentially account for 1% to 2% of right. charters nationwide. Those schools find, well, so those schools actually have the strongest results. Mm. So it's interesting. Reading between the lines, it seems like there's a bunch of like these sort of hybrid schools mm. in Florida that are serving Latino kids there pretty well, it seems mm. like. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I think to me, the biggest takeaway is just that there are, still some really bad CMOs out there and that we could drastically improve the performance of the charter sector. CMOs, CMOs or, or vendors? Both. Both. Okay. both. So both, right. the yeah. both non-profit some, and for-profit. Yeah. There's some bad networks out there. You know, and it's it's just shocking how bad some of them are. And um, it's also amazing how great some of them are.
2: And does she name names in this?
0: I mean, we she absolutely does. she does.
2: Spill the tea? Would you like me to? Say. Yeah, now that part.
0: Come on. Okay, all right. Show so, the receipts. Uh, A big yay to uncommon schools. Boom! Yay, Um, uncommon. Yep, plus 0.35 standard deviations in math, which is something like 150 extra days of learning a year. And also to KIP, which is plus 0.10. Yeah, so no huge surprises there. Boo to big picture learning, Mm -hmm. uh, K-12, and -hmm. responsive ed um, in that order. And, then, and we
2: should say these tend to be more progressively oriented schools and they might say, hey, test scores aren't what we're about.
0: Right. OK. Uh, not going to touch that one. Yeah. Uh, and then so those okay. are kind of like the super networks, right, that operate yeah. in multiple states. And then like the networks, right, that operate at the state level, a big yay to I think it's a method. I'm not sure. Hmm. Um, plus point five three in math. That's just an amazing leap. Wow. Wow. Techua Academy, Houston Gateway. American Indian Public Charter School. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. This is a famous okay. one in the yeah, yeah, the yeah. I, I,
0: yeah. Okay. D.C. Prep Collegiate Academies Yay, and DC Success. Prep. So uh, the yeah. Bread Prize winner Success. Yeah. Yep. Plus point four zero standard deviations. So that's actually another huge leap. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. boom. Two hundred extra days of learning a year. And then there's some bad ones which I can also name. Yeah, of course. Okay. What Uh, What are you thinking about? I've never heard of most of these places. Pivot, Excel Academy, University of Texas, University Charter School, Priority Charter School. Which Excel
2: Academy? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so uh, there's there were a, a two or three in yeah. Texas. Okay, so. not right.
2: one I know. But not, cool. to, was, you know, some people were surprised. That some, some of the for-profits did not end up on the bad schools list. Like Imagine is one that's gotten mm-hmm. a lot of bad press, but yeah. uh, I understand it did okay. There
0: were, about, there were about 200 of them listed. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's somewhere in the but middle, I assume. So, <laughs> I'm
3: going to ask the researcher's favorite question okay. now that we're four minutes into the research minute. Are there any strong, hard and fast conclusions that we can draw about types of schools from this study?
0: We can draw the conclusion that we should be trying to, that that networks work um, when they're good networks. And I think we can draw the conclusion that charters are working better for uh, African American and um, Hispanic kids. Uh, And then the other one I didn't mention that's kind of interesting is. That charters seem to be working at the middle school level and the high school level and not quite as well at the elementary school level, which is interesting to me. And then, but really what's not working are these multi-level charters, like essentially, I think they're like K through 12 schools were like the only group that had a negative impact. So I'm not sure what to make of that, but Mm. it's worth sort of pulling at that. That's
2: interesting. Especially since that, that. That can be a little bit of a legal uh, nuance there. You know, in some places, KIP, uh, a K through 12 KIP would have one charter. In other places, they might have three. It just
3: mm-hmm. kind of depends. That's yeah. interesting.
2: Well, look, variation has always been the issue with charter schools, both by school and by state. And the question is, how do we get more of the good ones and less of the bad ones? And it sounds like this can at least tell us to look, not surprisingly, some networks do better than others. We keep investing in the ones that are doing mm-hmm. well. Yep. Again, if this is what we care, care about, uh, you know, boosting gain yeah. scores and math and reading. Yeah. Yep. I, for one, would say, yeah, that is that is not all we care about, but certainly one thing we should care about. Yeah, yeah. to
3: me, there's also kind of the byproduct or a secondary lesson, which is like, if you see quality however you're defining it, which to me mm-hmm. has a heavy hand on, you know, student performance, like, scale it and enable your good schools to scale and open more charters and become networks.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I guess I mean, the other point that's obviously a huge subject of discussion is just regulation, right, and closing yeah. schools. And to me, there are still, if you look at this, there are still states where charters are having a negative impact, yep. and that's that shouldn't be acceptable, yep. so... Anyway,
2: I like it. A negative impact should not be acceptable. I like that. Okay, David, thank you so much. Uh, Please come again. Uh, Maybe after your next trip back to the motherland. Uh, Dosvidanya. Is that goodbye? (laughs) Uh, Just kidding. What is that? Uh, Goodbye. Okay, I got it. I got it. Hey. (laughs) All right. Till next time. I'm Alyssa Schwenk. And I'm Mike Petrilli the Thomas B. Fortin Institute, signing off.
0: The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.